This is Company. I'm Sky Manson. Company is a podcast produced in rural Australia, bringing together ambitious women from the bush, the cities and all over the world. Today's guest is Stephanie Hunt, whose rural roots keep her sane, especially at the moment. You see, Stephanie is the senior editor for the Asia Pacific at a group called Storyful, a news and intelligence agency. Each day from her home in Sydney, she sources and fact checks videos and footage on social media taken by everyday people on their phones and distributes it to major news outlets across the world. It's a media role that wouldn't have existed 10 years ago. And as you'll learn today, her task of fact-checking and verifying things like exact location are so important in the process of things like the war in Ukraine to air in an accurate manner. Outside of her work with Storyful, Steph is simply brilliant. She's led an extraordinary career which has taken her from her hometown of Gunnedah to the newsrooms of Prime News initially, then to the BBC Sky News London, Al Jazeera English, and she's been a supervising producer with Channel 7's Sunrise. She's worked with TV teams in Mongolia and Bangladesh for World Vision and the Solomon Islands with UNICEF. Steph is a TED talker and to boot she now has a podcast of her own and We're Rolling, which interviews some of the best female correspondents, presenters and reporters in the world. This interview is actually recorded in two parts, pre-war in Ukraine and post-war in Ukraine, because what Steph's been working through in recent weeks has been pretty intense. So at Storyful, we'd been covering the ongoing build-up on Russian forces along the border Location, So in Belarus, Crimea, Western Russia, for, for quite a few weeks, we're seeing tanks on the move, Russian warships um, moving from the Mediterranean to the Black Sea, Biden, heads of state were saying that an attack was coming in upcoming days. So we were certainly aware that, um, that the conflict was, it, it was definitely brewing. Russian troops had already moved into Ukraine's eastern regions, Donetsk and Luhansk, and President Putin had recognised them as independent. So we were fact-checking videos from these areas already, and satellite imagery was was really important. It helped us understand what was happening. So the, the sat images, they were showing more and more Russian troops moving into key areas. And then I had ducked down to the shops to grab some lunch, um, and a good almond chai. And my deputy editor contacted me with great concern and just said, Putin has gone mad. He's launched a special military operation everywhere. So I rushed back home to the computer, I logged on um, into our different monitoring tools that we use. So I was across TweetDeck and CrowdTangle, which helps us look through social media video. Um, also across official pages for both Russia and and Ukraine and those areas around there. And we were seeing reports of strikes all over the shop. So sirens ringing out in Kiev following 
the start of these Russian strikes, so explosions near Kharkiv. Um, there was video showing Russian vehicles moving across the Crimea border. So just a lot of attacks happening in a range of strategic locations. It was very hard to know where to start. So we were seeing incredible videos coming out of Ukraine. There were buildings and schools in key cities battered by Russian attacks. There were tanks converging across the border and then rolling into Ukraine. You would have seen the Ukrainian refugees crowding onto trains to cross into border countries. So it was really overwhelming and and just incredible video and and, an incredible time in history. Just really, really heartbreaking stuff. Um, We were also seeing stories of resilience and, and kindness and a real sense of community. One video that absolutely stands out um, was the video showing mothers from a maternity ward in Kherson. The hospital had moved these mums to a bomb shelter again as fighting continued in the area. And the doctor that we at Storyful spoke with, he filmed the video and he said four mums had given birth in the basement of that hospital. Um, It was an incredible, incredible time. Um, So through user-generated video, that's a video that is filmed on a mobile phone, for example, the world is seeing first-hand accounts. And if you verify this video very carefully and obviously correctly, you're getting a raw, unfiltered, no agenda, no propaganda account of a key event in history unfolding. How difficult has it been for you to fact-check? So social media is... It can be incredible. It can be an incredible tool in a key event like this. But there's also a hell of a lot of misinformation out there. Misinformation and disinformation. We're seeing government propaganda videos pushing agendas. We're seeing videos that are meant to be from um, a Ukraine strike in Mariupol. It was This video was viewed more than 2 million times on Twitter. However... We did our research, we debunked this video, it was actually on TikTok a month earlier and it showed a lightning strike. Um, we're seeing videos that were showing an explosion in China and again, they were said to be from the Ukraine. So at Storyful, we also do a deep dive into um, that person's profile. If the video is said to be filmed in Ukraine, but we know that this person um, was posting from Black Mountain in New South Wales the day before. It's very unlikely that they filmed that video. Um, and then the date, that's that's a big a big issue that we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of old video resurfacing um, and said to have been from uh, the conflict. However, the video is, you know, a year or so old. Um, so we're looking for ways to corroborate to confirm that that video happened on that date so are there other angles that other people have filmed of the same video is there a, a news report that that tallies with what we're seeing in that video and then location is the third box that we're trying to tick when we're verifying video so we're looking at the video sound up can you hear accents in the video can you see number plates in the video um, we do a lot of geolocating using Google Maps, which is really, really cool. So we're looking at the video. Are there any landmarks? And can we tally those landmarks um, with Google Maps? So, yeah, it's, it is a challenge. It's a challenge normally 
um, to verify video at the best of times during a war, during the conflict in Russia and Ukraine. It's, it is very, very busy and very intense. Mm, yeah, far out. It's so full on, especially when you consider that there are time pressures as well. It's so good to hear about because it is serious investigation type stuff. I just wonder how how does this impact you? How do you, how are you holding up with it all? Yeah, it's it's a challenging time. We're seeing a lot of heartbreaking videos, a lot of very important videos that need to be shared with the world's media. Um, there's a lot of pressure, obviously, to to be right with our verification. So at Storyful, we find the videos, we verify them, and then we share them with our media clients. And the media client, the media, and the media clients include the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, um, BBC, Al Jazeera, The Australian, News.com. So all of the world's the world's media. So we really have to be right, um, which can be quite stressful. But it's an important job. It's very interesting work. Um, I could probably be a lot better at switching off and probably looking after myself a bit more. Um, But we do do a lot of work at Storyful around learning to unhook the story and unhook the memories or the, the visuals from the day and kind of closing the door and letting things go. Um exercise, walking, I play a bit of hockey, meditation is really, really beneficial for me. Um, It can be, yeah, it can be quite jarring, I guess, working from home at the moment as well and being very focused on work and kind of down a huge rabbit hole trying to geolocate a a video and then suddenly it's five o'clock, kids are home, time to get dinner ready. Um, But on the flip side, that is a very good way of helping me cope and, and, you know, turn the computer off. It's time to focus on family. So I'm very, I'm very grateful to have that. Um, and the other key way that I look after myself and cope through this period is going home to the farm. So we were home about two weeks ago. We did a quick trip home to Armadale and up to Black Mountain up to the property and just went mustering with dad. I had the girls and and Ben. Um, We went mustering. We got bogged in the bottom paddock. We were full of mud. We had to try and push the Prado out of the the paddock. Failed, had to walk (laughs) across the paddocks back to the shed. And it was the greatest day I've had in months. So, yeah, my heart definitely belongs in the bush and that it's I'm very very grateful that I can go home and just be surrounded by trees and paddocks be away from screens away from phones away from some really challenging and sad news and yeah just be with family and and you know just suck in that beautiful country air I'm also finding a lot of joy in just playing with the kids. Just no pressure on the ground, doing silly things with them, dress-ups, um, colouring in. Yeah, just 
trying to switch off, forget about work, um, be in the moment and just really embrace my family and the important things in life. There's nothing like covering a really sad, sad war um, to have a, a key reality check and just realize I'm so great. I'm to have a key reality check and just realize I'm so fortunate to be where I am, safe with my family. Um, I mean, you know, the, the floods again in northern New South Wales and Queensland, another reminder that it's the simple things that are most important. I'm really proud of the work that we do at Storyful. So I, I lead the team here in Australia and we have, there are seven of us, um, and we've been working from home for about two years now. It's a really close-knit team, quite young, um, very dedicated, very, yeah, just working really hard to verify videos on social media without much ego at all. There's no no bylines, um, you know, their faces aren't on camera and they're doing exceptional work for the top media outlets around the world, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, uh, Al Jazeera. It's, it's really, really incredible. Um, and the same for our team in, if a team in New York, London and Dublin as well. So I'm very proud of these journalists that I get to work with every day. It's such a good reminder for anybody who actually likes to share things on social media that perhaps we could take a little step back and do a bit of fact-checking first for ourselves and never really take these sorts of footage on face value. So, yes, always check your sources. Never take a post at face value. There is so much misinformation out there, disinformation as well, and people who just know how to be dodgy on social media. So do your own research. Don't be afraid to question things. Don't take things for gospel um, do a reverse image search before sharing any image. So this is a way to check if an image has been used or shared on the internet previously. So that's a way of finding out if something's obviously, you know, old and not not new. Um, and also at work we have a we have a rule, would you bet a month's pay on on the fact that this video is real? If you think this video is real and you'd put a month's, you'd wager a, a month's salary or a, month, a month's pay on the fact it's legit, then okay, that's good. That's fine. If you don't, don't be sharing it. Okay. So away from what's happening in Russia and Ukraine at the moment now to when Steph and I initially sat down to chat last year, I started by asking her where she and her family are located now. Yeah, so I now live in Pennant Hills. So um, I've lived in Sydney for on and off. Um, I've had a few stints in Africa and the Middle East. But I've been living in Sydney for about six years, I think it is. We moved here at the end of last year. So this, so Pennant Hills is a, a suburb in in northern Sydney, the northern suburbs of of Sydney. It's quite lovely. It's um, there's a few bush tracks down the road and yeah some sort of national parks around the traps 
Um, and I'm living in this beautiful old, she's a real beauty, an 1896 old heritage home. So there used to be citrus farms in this area. This place was then used by the Red Cross to house nurses who are looking after returned servicemen from the from World War One. So she's got beautiful old bones and and really lovely pressed metal ceilings and the wooden floorboards and yeah, it has a real country feel. I think it's the only way I could still be here in the city having um, this beautiful old Federation home. I wait to learn more about like your where you grew up and yeah. your trajectory through university and all you've done through your career but I just want to ask you can you tell me a little bit what an average day looks like for you now keeping in mind that we're talking to you um, through your uh, makeshift studio to set up in the cupboard at home (laughs) (laughs) that's it yeah I'm sitting I'm sitting in my wardrobe um, surrounded by my lovely beautiful dresses that I've not worn for a very long time because of lockdown and my husband's old wedding suit I think that I don't think he fits into anymore but anyway um so an average day I'd love to say that I get up really early and I go for a run do some yoga on the back veranda no I don't I'm more of a night owl but I do get up I have two young girls a four-year-old and a two-year-old so I get up um and my husband and I wrangle them and try and get breakfast in order there's yogurt flying there's wheat beaks and blueberries going everywhere and um we're always trying to find shoes can never find shoes and socks and drink bottles for for daycare but yeah but they the girls and my husband they sort of leave just before eight o'clock my husband goes to work he drops off the kids and then I start work at at 8 a.m so I'm a senior editor at, at Storyful so we're a social media news agency so we're finding video we're verifying it um, and then we're sharing it with all the big news outlets in the world. So Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, and also the news guys here in Australia. So how interesting. Media. So you yeah. actually contact the people directly yeah. through a DM or whatever, and you have to ask them, were you holding the phone when this happened? Exactly, exactly. And people often, especially if, if it's a really big viral video, people you know, you can have some nefarious characters saying, oh, yeah, 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 I filmed that, but they they may not. So you're doing a bit of detective work to double check that they were there. So, you know, if, if, it was, if it's a, so if it's a video filmed from outside, um, if it's a video filmed on a plane, for example, you're saying, can you show us your boarding card? Um, can you show us your boarding pass? Or um, can you send us the raw video, you know, so haven't just um scraped it off the internet or you know yeah yeah, you're doing a bit of background check on on them as well so it's quite cool it's a bit of detective work old school journal work mixed in with yeah this social media weird crazy future of of media what's the turnaround time in your verification generally number one we have to be right because that's our whole the whole thing about storyful is we have to be right so we're fact checkers that's our reputation we won't share a video unless we know it's right but that's so that's that's number one number two you've got the world's media who are busting to go they want the video now 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 um so we have to be very fast it's super quick this podcast is all about celebrating better connections for women in the bush 
In fact, as members of the Country Women's Association of New South Wales, women all over have been bettering the services, facilities and communities of this state since 1922. That's right. 2022 marks 100 years of the CWA of New South Wales. For a century, CWA women have been initiators, fighters and lobbyists. A hundred years ago, they grouped together to start facilities like baby healthcare centres in their local towns. As the association grew, it took their voice to Parliament, both state and federal, to lobby for better maternity services, more doctors for the bush and better schools. All the while bringing the ideas of its members to life, turning little localities into vibrant communities, reducing isolation and lifting the lives of those who lived there. You can help celebrate 100 years of the CWA of New South Wales by having a look at what they're doing on social media, buying some special 100-year merchandise from their website or even better, becoming a member. CWA of New South Wales.org.au has all the information you need. Yeah. So, did you always want to be a journo? Yeah, I did. I, I've always loved English and writing and talking with people. I think sports psychology was the only other topic I was sort of looking at, but no, I think it was a journo. That was always for me. I remember my mum saying, yeah, you'd be a great journo. <laughs> so where do you think that came from? Like, did you know that from primary school days? Was there an influence in particular? Or can you remember when you were like, oh, I think I'll go down this path? I would read so much growing up, always, always reading, whether that was because I was, yeah, in, in the bush and just loving to experience and read and um, and hear about new adventures through the medium of, of books. Um, what else? I had, I had a work experience in year 10 and I went to sports tonight with James Knight. He's a, a wonderful Canada guy. Um, he was so kind and he, he was working there and he helped me get work experience in year 10. Um, oh, cool. You and everyone the envy of everyone. Like, Whoa, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was... A big deal. Um, and I think that was a channel 10. And I walked in and I saw the studio, the, the live TV studios, and the fact that um, you could make a living writing and interviewing and talking with people. Um, I loved, I loved that. So I, I think in, yeah, about year 10, I, I definitely, that sort of cemented that, that desire. So tell me more about your, uh, your childhood in the country. So I was born in Gunnedah. Um, we lived on a little farm just out of out of town. My grandparents, both sides, um, they're in Gunnedah. My parents grew up in Gunnedah, and you know, around that around that region. Um, some of my earliest memories are just picking paper daisies with my mum on the you know on the farm. I every time I see paper daisies now, I just I still it makes me so happy. Um, uh-huh. And then we moved to Armadale. So I I grew up in. I grew up mostly in Armadale. We also had a, had a property just out of Armadale, so Black Mountain, which we still have now, sheep and, and cattle property. So lots of time mustering and we used to always win the cross country at school because we <laughs> would do these crazy <laughs> full-time musters up and down 
up and down the gorges at not on foot mountain parts on foot yeah right who um too wild for you know the motorbikes and didn't have horses yeah so so my, my dad my dad and my uncle and my auntie they were the best riders they'd always go on on horse and they go down the gorge um and it was just too a bit too much for us so we were yeah we were on foot so we're pretty fit um and my track record with motorbikes not great I did I remember dad saying um telling me and my brother to just you know go and do some mustering and it was quite wet that day and he said whatever you do just don't go down the gorge on the motorbike I was like no 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 and of course we did and I was so I was so worried about getting in trouble but I went so slowly down this hill so slowly that the motorbike was basically you know it, it stopped and I just fell off the bike and the motorbike <laughs> fell on my leg broke my leg oh my gosh <laughs> so funny and then typical dad oh you know you'll be right give me a look no blood you're fine next day going to hospital broken leg <laughs> but um so yeah it was a it was a really great such a great childhood in the country always outdoors we were never you know really allowed to just hang and watch back-to-back movies luckily there was no Netflix because we would have missed out on it there was just I know I feel the same yeah always outdoors never we were never lazy we were always doing stuff or were you were you uh, yeah expected to work was that yeah yep definitely which I really I really I'm very happy about that it was never Steph you stay at home and do cooking and the boys go out um, I'm the eldest of four, so I was always out from a very early age with with dad. And mum was out with us as well. So very physical, um, you know, fencing and rock picking and stick picking and mustering and rouseabouting. Um, yeah, there was no real gender divide. Obviously, my brothers were stronger as they got older, got older than me, but um, and my little sister. But no, we were all expected to. To get in and have a go. I interviewed a, a, a woman who, um, a wise woman who's still on the farm at age eighty-six, I think, and she runs the property. And she's she says women can do everything that men can do, except sometimes they can't lift the heavy things. That's the only impediment, <laughs> which I love to hear because, yeah, we, it sounds like we were quite similar. We um, did lots of work on the farm. No watching of TV, no. don't know any of the movies, don't know Seinfeld. <laughs> uh, and I'm, yeah, you know, I lamented it a little bit at the time, but very mm. thankful for it now. Yeah, that's great. So I wonder, um, considering where your career has taken you, mm-hmm. there's obviously a streak of adv- voyeurism and a love of adventure in you. Do you think that was because you did spend so much time at home and you were seeking newer kind of places or did you actually at that time? Yeah, absolutely. And I still go home all the time. Um, so I'm always, when I go home straight to the farm and I'm always taking my, taking my two little girls back up there as well. Um, but that said, I was also pretty keen to get out and about and hit, hit Sydney and hit overseas which is quite surprising because as a kid I would get so homesick when I was in I think I was year five our entire class went to the Gold Coast and they went to Movie World and 
a dream come true for any kids. And I didn't go. I stayed at home. I was like, no way. I, I'd, I'd get really homesick staying over at people's houses. Mm. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's surprising that I, I have travelled so far from home. Um, but I also really long for the bush. I really, you know, I, I enjoy being in Sydney. I can do three months here and then I just have to go home. I just really need to just go and, and reconnect just with the bush and with family. And so I, yeah, I do struggle with that a little bit. Um, yeah. And I, as soon as I get home, and I, I mean, I call it home. I, I've been living in Sydney for so long. I still call Black Mountain home really. As soon as I, as I, as soon as I get there, I feel so at peace. Pardon mm. me. As soon as I get there, I feel so at peace. Um, feel more like myself. I just feel like everything's going to be okay. I'm, yes. You know, reconnected. I know the feeling. I actually yeah. do. Um, yeah, I always used to say I would just drive over the ramp at home and everything else would wash away. And um, it, yeah, it's just, it's, it's home. Um, it's where it's a grounding place and you just know it's so familiar. You know it inside out. So what did you study? Yeah, so I studied broadcast journalism. I studied comms, so I'm part of the Mitchell Mafia. Um, so very lucky. Yeah, so Melissa Doyle, um, Andrew Denton, Sam Armitage, Eddie Bartholomew, lots of big names um, have come out of that course. Um, you and me. Yeah. You lots too? of big names, yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, great course, great course. And so yeah. hands-on and practical and they really encourage you to, to get time on the job and do work experience and, um, yeah, it was excellent. Obviously, you mentioned before that your aim was the BBC. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell me about your trajectory there and how you worked it so that you could do it. Yeah, my dream was the BBC, right? Everyone's, oh, as a journo, it was just the BBC, but also to get to Sydney, I think, as, as a journalist, that was another big, a big aim. So after uni, my first gig was at Prime News in Albury. And my boss there, Paul Terry, a wonderful man, um, he was great. I had no idea. I was so green. Um, and by the end, you know, six months into the job, I was reading the news, you know, doing the Christmas cover and reading the news um, and reporting and producing and all sorts of different things, such a small, a small group. Um, and I, I sort of you know, did a stint there. Then I was really keen to get to Sydney, but I couldn't quite crack Sydney. And I got to Wollongong, Wind News, Wollongong. And again, I couldn't quite crack Sydney. Um, and then my best friend from school, Jessie Harris, so she decided that she wanted to go to London. And I thought, you know what, I'm coming. I'm going as well. And that great boss, Paul Terry, he somehow through a, a, a former employee had this email list of different contacts of people in, in London to contact. So yeah, so people to, to contact. So, you know, email this person at ITV, email this person at the BBC, email this person at Reuters and AP. So yeah. So I went with my friend Jesse to London. I didn't have a job. We sort of had a, a bar job through a mutual friend in London um love it so, yeah so funny <laughs> so I think we're about 25 um yeah went to London and I remember pulling beers at this bar job which, which was so much fun and then I remember because I didn't have a mobile phone 
going into the little red uh, phone boxes in London, which really smell, by the way, inside. Like they're disgusting. I think people, yeah, gross. Anyway, going in there with my printed out list and just going through each name and phoning and then emailing and phoning. And that's so crazy to think yeah. that life was like that. Like it was, mobile phones existed then, didn't they? Yeah. They yeah. Did. And I think, and Facebook had just started and yeah. I was like, oh, I'm not doing Facebook. So I had, I wasn't part of the face, the early Facebook crew. But definitely no Instagram. No, no, mm. no. Um, and then I finally just, you know, got a job at Channel 5 in London, which was inside the Sky News office and then I got a job at Sky News just just freelancing doing the night shift and then I finally made it to the BBC um the day shift on the BBC BBC I just I wasn't even working you know the night shift um and I loved it it was so fabulous it was really it was BBC world so a mix of these great journos from all over the world and the foreign correspondents would come in with their crumpled sort of linen suits and they you know sad all sun swept and and they'd be telling stories I still can't believe this there would be a trolley a little trolley lady she'd push through a trolley and she'd make you a cup of tea it didn't happen all the time but she'd push through the trolley with the, and she'd make you a cup of tea and sometimes a little bit of slice but that's, that's <sighs> it. it was so bizarre gorgeous wonderful. Yeah. how did you make sure you got the most out of the BBC in an education sense yeah, I was I was soaking everything in. I was so diligent. Um, I was asking a lot of questions, but I was also quite intimidated as well, right? I was this, you know, country girl that was intimidated by Sydney, never mind by London and, yeah. and BBC. They would have loved that, did they? They loved it. They love number one, they love Aussies because we're such hard workers and we're so focused. And I was just quite respectful of of these journos who'd been in the industry for forever and ever and anchors like Martine Dennis just goddesses mm. um who were really generous and very happy to impart their their wisdom as well what else did you did you go on to do much more at the BBC so my visa ran out typical story visa oh. ran out um I couldn't quite jag a full-time sponsorship so back I came back to Sydney and I tell you what, I was so smug. I was like, I've worked at the BBC. Check me out. I can't wait to get my new gig in Sydney. Um, and the GFC had just hit, and there weren't many, weren't many jobs going around at all. Um, and I started to panic. And then, luckily, whilst I was at uni, I'd done a work experience at Sunrise with David Walters, who was the EP at the time of Channel Seven Sunrise. And I just emailed him. I said, Hey, don't know if you remember me, but I. I did two weeks overnight, you know, work experience with you. I've just come back from London, any jobs going. And it was when the fires in Melbourne, Black Saturday, had just happened. And he said, come in, can you start this week? I need a journo, mm. you know, a producer, come in. Mm. So I was really lucky. So I started off as a producer, as a freelance producer. Mm. Um, and he sent me to Mongolia. I went with, with Mel Doyle. I went to Band Arche with Koshi. Like I've been sort of, yeah, Winter Olympics, William and Kate's wedding in London, all sorts of amazing, amazing adventures. And I oh, stayed yeah. there for, for about five years between sunrise and, and weekend sunrise. Yeah. From there, though, I went to Al Jazeera, which just, 
blew my mind um, when I thought when I thought I was intimidated being at the BBC in London, take that up another notch at Al Jazeera thinking, what do I even know about the Middle East? How, mm. Oh my God. So definitely, you know, seeds of so a few voices of doubt there in my own mind. Um, but again, I just learned so much about, about the area and the region. And again, working with journalists within that newsroom from all around the world. So in Doha, outside of the office, um, I pretty much had to be with my husband basically wherever I went. Inside the newsroom, um, I was a program editor. So I had a fair bit of respect as, as, a, as a female and worked with other amazing, amazing women. So, yeah. How interesting the, yeah. the difference in inside the walls and outside of the walls. Yeah, and it really was. It was such an eye-opener. Um, I'd never lived in the Gulf before. I'd never lived in the Middle East, mm. um, but I, I did love it. We lived above the Ferrari showroom <laughs> in Doha. And once, yeah, in one area, there was a Ferrari showroom. Then there was haagen ice cream. And next oh. to that was the Stella McCartney. Um, yeah, a Stella McCartney sort of boutique. It was so many contradictions and juxtapositions all, all in one. Um, what did what did your days look like there? Like, what did you love about it? And hmm. in Australia, you can you're free to lots of freedoms, and yeah. Outdoor outdoor time, and was it similar over there? It was so hot, obviously. That I mean, I'm stating the obvious, but you'd walk outside of your hotel room or where you're living, and your sunglasses would instantly fog up. So so hot. And so we, Ben and I, my husband and I, we lived in the Moven Pick for uh, for about half of our stay so when when we flew to to Doha in Qatar to work for Al Jazeera they put us up in a in a lovely hotel and half of your fellow journos are there as well it's mm-hmm. so much fun four o'clock every day is is chocolate hour at any Moven Peak hotel around the world good tip and so it's they wheel out chocolates and you know you're doing chocolate fondue and all this sort of stuff so a lot of fun, really beautiful buildings and lovely champagne. But then you can walk, you know, you can, then you can drive five minutes and you're, you're in, uh, you know, you're in, in the desert. It's where there's nothing around you. you you're looking in every direction. You can see the border to, you know, the Saudi Arabia border way over those sand dunes. It's so much contrast. You've talked about being homesick often did you feel it when you were out of Australia and did you always feel like you were in a temporary job um, whenever you were away knowing that you would always be coming home at some point that's such a good question when I was in London I always knew it wouldn't be my home I knew that it was only temporary Um, the Middle East was a lot easier because I had I had Ben with me we would, hmm. had just been married. Um, I felt quite settled there, could have stayed a bit longer. But deep down I knew that it was always, there'd be a time where we would go back. Um, ben and I also had a year on the road through Africa and ended up in um, in Italy there for a while as well. And that, oh, that was, that was absolutely heaven. Um, but again, I think we knew that eventually we'd always, we'd always come home. So I'm, I'm quite grateful that Ben, is from Australia that he loves the bush 
as well um, and that we always sort of were heading back home at some stage. How good. And now you've got a podcast of your own. And then tell me about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the podcast, the podcast is so much fun. Gosh, I love it. So that it's mainly, it was a sanity project that was sort of born out of being stuck in this house, in this LGA during COVID. Um, And it was also a way to connect with amazing women from all over the world that I'd, I'd worked with. So the podcast is called And We're Rolling. And so I'm interviewing the world's best, and they really are, it sounds a bit over the top, but they really are epic women. Um, So they're foreign correspondents or presenters or leaders. There's also a few athletes as well. And chatting with them about what makes them really nervous and any stories of them just stuffing up on air, having meltdowns on air, and their best tips and tricks to, to kind of get through that and not do that again. So, um, so as well as being a journal, I do do a little bit of consulting on the side, it's a bit of media training on the side. And, and I know from my own experience that it's very easy to feel nervous on camera or feel like you've got nothing to say or just, you know, it's all a bit too much. So I wanted to get the best tips from the best people and just share it with everybody. Yeah. Um, and that's where the idea came from. So, yeah, so it was all done in this little closet. Um, I bought a microphone. It's quite a nice mic. Um, I'm using an old, it's a farm stool that I've popped, <laughs> I've, popped the, I've popped the laptop on and the microphone on. It's quite perfect. So I can just sort of put my, you know, put my coffee there, my water there. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and with COVID, it was nothing on Netflix. I couldn't leave. I couldn't go anywhere. Um, and I just had to do something different to sort of break up covering, you know, oh. covering Afghanistan or Middle East or US elections or, or whatever. So it's, it's been so wonderful. I've, I've just really loved it. I feel really connected with the people I chat with. It's great. Yeah, isn't that the best thing? I yeah. always feel so privileged to work in the industry that we do. Yeah. Um, and especially in a podcasting sense, because I get an hour of your time and I get to ask you any question I want uninterrupted. (laughs) And for some reason, people are more than willing to share their deepest thoughts, which sometimes they've never shared with anybody. And, um, yeah, it's so powerful. And, yes, you're right about the connection thing. It just, I, I love it. You don't have to know that person and you're somehow given some incredible rite of passage to talk with them. A hundred percent. I interviewed Alison Bell. So she is the co-creator and also the star of The Letdown, which was on ABC and also yes. Netflix. And I've never met Alison. I just reached out to her agent thinking, there's no way she'll say yes. Her agent wrote back saying, yep, Alison's happy to do it when, when when suits you. And I just sent through some dates. Next thing I'm on a, I'm sitting in the wardrobe chatting with Alison. And, oh, my gosh, by the end of it, I was I was like, do you want to come and stay at my house? Like, oh, can we hang out? Boy, it, it was incredible. She was so honest and so just very generous. Um, yeah, it's so intimate, isn't it? It's yes. really, really intimate. It's been so nice over Instagram and then let this turn into a podcast interview of its own and learn a bit more about you. So thanks so much for chatting with me. 
Oh, I've loved this so much, Sky. Thank you so much. Thanks for your interest and um, and I love your podcast and everything that you do. And thank you for being so generous with all your knowledge and time. There are many things to take away from this chat. Number one, do a bit of a fact check on the things that you share on social media. Number two, the media and the way we consume it is so not what it used to be. It is changing the face of conflicts and how much we know about them. And the roll-on effect of this is the emotional toll is much bigger on the world collectively. Number three, don't you think Steph is a highly accomplished professional and she's an awesome chick too, who loves nothing more than being on the farm. And number four, she's got a great podcast and you need to add it to your list. It's called And We're Rolling with Stephanie Hunt. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you to the CWA of New South Wales celebrating 100 years in 2022 for supporting this series of company and you can get more company goodness by signing up to the newsletter at mansonandcompany.com.